Before we get into today's episode, I've created a short questionnaire that will help me get to know you better. Those that fill out the questionnaire will get entered into a draw to win an Amazon gift card. So there's a link in the description for the episode. Click it, fill out the questionnaire, and I look forward to hearing your feedback. Now for today's episode. This is The Michael Bryan Show. Hi everyone, welcome back to the show and today I'm joined with Lauren Tickner who is the CEO of Impact School and she's also ranked as Forbes number one business coach for 2021. Lauren, thanks for joining me. Yes, no, it's great to be here and it's nice to be connected with a fellow Brit. Um, <laughs> it's pretty rare in this online online space. It is, it's very America dominated, isn't it? And I heard you actually started your business journey, so to speak, as a fitness influencer. So what was that like? It was honestly, I really enjoyed it. And the word influencer, I think, has some strange connotations. And it also depends where you hear that word, because in the business space, it's like a really positive thing. Whereas I feel like in the UK, whenever you say the word influencer, you you think about like um, girls with, you know, tiny like bikinis on holding like spray tan bottles and like, you know, uh, teeth whitening kits. So I really just love to make content helping people become healthy and strong physically and mentally. And that's really what I was doing. And I love seeing other people in that element sharing valuable stuff when it comes to health or, you know, wellness, because I have a lot of respect for it, you know, when people are doing it just because they love it. And I now know a lot of those people are not very good at monetizing, which is something that I just, I just fell in love with the business side, which I never really ever thought that I would uh, get into. But yeah, it was, it was in, in general, it was great, right? And it allowed me to quit my job. So I'm very grateful for that. I think influence has definitely changed over the past few years. And I think as well, some people have this judgment of it as if it's someone trying to play celebrity, even when they're just like you and me. But then aren't celebrities just like you and me as well? Yeah, I mean, I know loads of celebrities living here in Dubai. There's tons who are all over, you know, the TV and the magazines. And most of them are great people. And a lot of them are very, very switched on. Like the ones I know in my circles, they're great business people. And so I, yeah, I mean, they just, they play, they play an act for the camera. But then in reality, they're honestly, the people I know are super smart. What made you change what made you move away from that I've seen a couple of things that you you're still dipping your toe into a little bit in the fitness space but why did you transition to helping people grow businesses so like when I was doing fitness I literally I started out because I had had my own journey with health and fitness so I'd lost weight in a really unhealthy way there's there's loads of content about that online so like I won't necessarily go into like the deepest depths but after me and loads of my friends started working with this huge fitness brand, right? It's Gymshark, like I'll just say it because everyone knows at this point. So I, I, I was working with them and they dropped me and loads of my friends. And I helped a couple of guys and one girl actually just launch a fitness challenge. And they made tens of thousands, all of them, just from using like the funnels that I had personally built myself. This is like a long time ago now. So I was still going in, clicking all the buttons and doing everything myself. And I gave it to them. They killed it. And for a few years after that, I never thought that this would be a way for me to make money. 
I never thought that there was, I didn't know about business coaching until I then started hiring people because they invited me to go to masterminds. And I didn't, honestly, I didn't even know that this was a thing. And so after a while, I thought, you know what? I think I can actually, I think I can do this because I made this post on my personal Facebook and I never used to use Facebook, but I said, hey, I've written an ebook on how to create and sell an online program. Would anyone be able to review it for me this girl called Emily replied to me and she was a teacher and so I thought what better than a teacher to do this for me now I didn't know at the time that she was a maths teacher but it turns out that she actually had a YouTube channel about health and fitness herself she gave me the most in-depth feedback ever it was amazing and then she said to me okay so like now what how can I get coaching from you how can you be my mentor and I thought like what you're really healthy and fit like you don't need a a a coach she's like no to help me with my business and I was like oh what (laughs) she was like yeah I've been looking for someone to hire and this is fantastic and I love the way that you do things can you help me and so I had no idea like how much do I charge her honestly I can't remember I'd have to look into how much she ended up paying me I guess it was like 2k per month US dollars or something but anyway she then after working with me for two months okay she quit her job she was she was American she was living in Australia because they get paid better as a teacher there so she was able to quit her job in Australia move back to the USA pay for her flights and everything get her own place and then two months after that she got a jeep and now she you know she's a very giving person like she's not super materialistic but I share this stuff just because I couldn't even believe that I was able to change someone's life like that, right? I knew in health and fitness, but this was different. Like this was strategic. I really enjoyed our conversations. I would just have calls with her and we would just be talking business strategy and she would just implement straight away. And then after working with her, because she she had a bit of a following, right? She didn't have huge. Now she's got millions of followers on TikTok, yeah. on uh, Instagram, uh, hundreds of thousands on YouTube. Back then she had like 20K. But I then took on a couple of clients who were just everyday like personal trainers and it didn't work with them, right? My strategies weren't working. And I thought to myself, okay, maybe I shouldn't do this. But then what I realized is I personally, when I didn't have a team, when I didn't have systems for this whole thing, like I was better at working with the influencers who already had some traction because that's what I had done. And so now, even still now with Impact School, our best clients, the people that we work with, are people that already have some existing momentum with their business. They already have clients. You know, we aim to work with people where it's not just them, right? They have at least a bit of a team. And if it is just them, they're like systems freaks. So everything's like really, really dialed in. So we can actually focus on the scaling element rather than the, you know, nitty gritty, just putting and getting things going. So it was totally accident that I got into what I do now. And it was just taking on the feedback from the market of people literally like begging me to move into this, which is so funny looking back because I think so many people spend so much time trying to like find my niche, right? And they ask all these questions like, how can I find my perfect niche? But if you really think about it, probably what people are already asking you so many questions about all day, every day, that's the easiest way to to, to figure it out. And then from there, you just get going and collect market feedback from your actual clients. So that was my very long-winded answer. It seems that's more common these days to ask people what they want rather than trying to do 
huge amounts of market research because you've got people that are already interested in you as a person. Maybe they've bought from you before. Ask them if there's anything that they can add to what they're currently doing, what, what's missing, and then you simply add that in and you've instantly got people that can actually buy it as well. Yeah, we just did a feedback. So we have around like of our best clients around 220 or so right now. And uh, all of these clients are paying us tens of thousands, right? So we sent out a survey to all of them. And oh my goodness me, this was the best thing I've ever done for Impact School. Literally, I genuinely think that surveying your clients is the only magic pill that exists for your business because the results that you get is in their wording. You can literally copy and paste that onto your sales pages, into any of your marketing assets, even the way that you type things when you're speaking to potential clients in the DMs or when you say stuff on sales calls. Oh my gosh, this was so amazing. And we actually split our clients and we we broke it down into like, ranking of our favorite clients and the ones that have paid us the most money to the clients that have paid us the least the ones that are late on payments etc etc and the trends were ridiculous like the trends were insane and so I told a few of my friends about what I was doing and they said to me right but what are you doing with data like what do these results mean to you well and I said well it shows me what I need to add to the business It shows me the features that we're always talking about that no one even cares about, that they're not even using. And it shows me that when I speak about these particular things, it attracts the lower caliber of client. So I'll give you a couple of examples if if that's okay and if that's helpful. Um, Because I think this can be very valuable to anyone who has a business. (laughs) So for example, our best clients, everything that they were talking about was sales, sales sales process, sales systems. I want more sales. I want to make sure that my sales are consistent. I want sales to come in without everything needing me. I like that I can go on holiday now and sales continue to come in. So it was that key word that they said sales, right? I thought, and my assumption prior to that moment was income and profit. That's the wording. And I'm very involved with our marketing strategy and writing copy because I love it. I love to do it. I've built all the systems around me being able to continue to do that because I love it and it's something that I don't want to not stop doing so I I, in that moment we switched everything to say sales and when we looked at our more beginner level clients or the clients that are late on payments they were always talking about leads and again in the past we were always talking about leads because whenever we do polls on Instagram stories or Facebook group etc everyone always clicks that they want more leads But it's kind of like saying, you know, when people are talking about um, cost per acquisition, right, if they're running paid ads and they start saying like, yeah, my cost per acquisition or like my my cost per lead was like four dollars. Right. But like, look at the quality of that lead. okay? so you may be getting more volume, but are you getting more quality? So in the past, we had unfortunately taken the volume instead of taking the quality. So when we saw that 80 percent of people said they want more leads we thought, okay, all of our marketing message needs to be about that. But no, 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 because they weren't the ones buying. They weren't the ones always paying in full. They weren't the ones always referring us five clients each, right? So this is when it also comes down to like attributing data as to who is sharing that information with you. So that was once what we made. And then a second thing was that we noticed that one of the biggest features that our clients loved about 
what we do is that we actually train their team on lead generation and sales. So we have every single day live training clinics to get sales calls reviewed or to like how to actually find leads and do lead gen for, for their team to go to. And this was the thing that if we, if we got rid of everything that they would keep. And so that was also super interesting because it shows that one, number one, they don't like training and number two, it's very valuable for their business. So, yeah. yeah. What way do you analyze it so that you're able to backtrack from best clients paying the most, getting the best results all the way to the words that you're using? How did you track individually the path that they're taking? If you use, say, social media as your way of bringing people in, how can you know that they are the people that are seeing the right content that then brings them in? Have you got something that breaks it down that minutely or do you have some kind of guesstimate in mind anyway? So from click to close, we know where every single client's coming from. We use a tool called Get Impact, which we've actually kind of built in-house. So everything also then duplicates into easy to read dashboards that my team have built in notion right so get impact is how we're attributing that from click to close um they use various different things honestly this is not my wheelhouse at all so the totally operational stuff like i am by no means involved there my team won't even let me go in and click the buttons because i'll mess it all up right so (laughs) just being real um to your point as to how did we gather all the data so a girl on my team, Kelsey, so she's in our operations team. Um, she actually, her background's in tech, but she was able to make some really nice Excel sheet, which ordered everything. And then I she did some manual stuff too. So yeah, there was a lot of manual work involved. I saw her like when I was reading uh, the results because I wanted to go in and do my own entire in-depth analysis. Uh, I saw her dragging I saw her dragging things around and copying and pasting stuff over into different tabs. So like, I know there was a lot of manual work. And so she was comparing the amount clients have paid, you know, are they green on the fact that they pay in time? Have they paid in full? How many clients have they referred to us? She was then, she came up with some type of algorithm to like weight it as to who would be the most valuable clients and then who would be the least valuable clients. And then obviously we innately know as well the clients that, you know, maybe they're a little more red on the fact that we don't like to work with them as much. And when their term ends, we won't invite them to join and keep working with us. Right. So those ones we kind of disregarded from the results and we just blanked them out. But we looked at exactly what they said they wanted to see if there was any, uh, you know, correlations in what they say they want, like all the less good clients, because we, we want to not talk about that anymore because we don't want to track more of those. So then your question was also regarding about like, you know, getting in front of those people. I prefer to lead with strong copy because we're still pretty much all organic. Like we were spending like $5 a day on ads. I'm very grateful that we have a big organic audience. So we don't necessarily like specify like that. It's more that we lead with the copy and the messaging that will then attract the dream clients because we aren't using paid media, right? So I'm very familiar with paid media, but it's not a strategy we're deploying right now because we have enough leads in our community to have the level of business that we can handle right now, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And it makes me think actually that a lot of people think about scaling in a lot of different ways. And 
numerous conversations, everything from 10K months to seven figures to whatever the case is. But what I would be interested to hear your take on is the idea of scaling, but also scaling from the human perspective, because your focus is on systems, which would imply to me that you scale not necessarily income, although I guess that would happen as well, but scaling so it's bigger than just one person. You're scaling a team rather than just the the income. Yeah, so fun fact was that the biggest reason why people come to Impact School is to scale. This was from our survey, like the biggest reason. And that was really promising to me because this is what we're in business for and this is what we're really, really good at. And Laura from my team gave me a great example. So she heads up our sales. She is awesome right and and i started to lean on her more myself recently even just for feedback on my own my own copy and my own sales messages and stuff because yeah I, I never did that before um because she was always focused on helping clients but yeah it's, it's really really cool so um she said to me like well lauren here's the thing we we call the team that work one-on-one with our highest level clients we call them growth consultants but like i don't like this and I said, okay, because I, I really love the tech startup space, right? I, I follow like Y Combinator, um, A16Z, like all these all these guys and these companies. And I love venture capital. I do a lot of investing myself. And so I'm always consuming that content. And so they talk about like growth hacking and all this. And she said, but I just don't like this word because growing means like doing more of the same thing. You're putting more energy and attention on that same thing. But Look at all of our clients. When they first come to us, they are hustling. They're working 16, 18 hour days. They're totally burnt out. They're overwhelmed. They feel like they have so much to do and they're trying to grow everything. So we can't use this word growth. And so I said to her, yeah, like we expand their capacity. Why we're in business is to expand the capacity and to actually remove things from them, to diminish rather than grow. So... I was thinking like, okay, what can we say instead of growth consultant? And this is actually something that we're still working on right now. Right now, we're just saying consultant because scale consultant sounds kind of like meh. But it's so true <laughs> what she says. Like, we are not growing. We are scaling. Because if you grow too quickly, you 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 won't scale because it will simply break, right? If you've got 100 clients today in the price point that they pay you right now, your best dream clients, would you be able to handle it? Because if you suddenly get invited to speak at a 5,000 person event, that's a very real possibility. So would you have the capacity to be able to handle those clients? Now, at the same time, you don't always need to be focusing on scaling, right? In the beginning phases, you shouldn't be focused on scaling. You need to be focused on making sure that the systems actually work. Because a mentor of mine, he even said to me, he's like, because I was asking him, you know, I was running him by some people who, sh- who should I hire, like this person, this person, or this person. And I was telling him about their background, their interview, how it went, like their skills, etc. And he said to me, I don't think you should hire the best one because their experience is on helping 50 million per year companies. You need to hire this middle one because their experience is on helping 30 million per year companies. And that's what we're working towards right now. And I thought it was fascinating because I was really, really obsessed with the 50 mil person, but obviously they wanted way more. And also they hadn't had experience in taking a company of the size that mine is where it's at up to the 30 million threshold. They'd only been in like the 30 to 50. 
So once I'm at 30, then yeah, I should hire them. But some people just get you to the next stage and then you end with them or they'll keep expanding too so that they can take you to the next level too in your company, et cetera. And I thought that was interesting. And it also reminded me of like why so many of my last relationships ended because I was I was expanding myself in such a faster rate than they were. And so it was fine at the stage it was at, you know? They helped me get to where I needed to get to, but then I had to finish and move on. And it's exactly the same in business. So to your point, so it really is about not just the infrastructure, right? And like the actual like operations of the business, but it's also you as the founder and CEO. It's your mind and the caliber and the set point that you've taken yourself to that's going to dictate the level of where you can take your business to. Because similarly, the level of skill set of the team is the way in which you're going to be able to serve the client. So if you, you made an example earlier, like someone who helps people take people to 10K per month with their coaching business, right? This is a very common business right now because it's very easy to get someone to 10K per month right? Like really it is. Okay. And so whoever buys from the coaches who are helping people get to 10K per month, it's really about like, which person do they align with to help them get there? But then they aren't helping people get to like 50K or 100K per month because they they don't know how to, and that's fine. That's okay. But that's what's going to prevent their business from scaling because the founder is pretty much usually like the founder skill set is no longer able to take the client to any further level, right? And maybe they don't want to, and that's fine. But it's something that I think about a lot. It's like, I need to stay, I need to keep growing, expanding myself so that then I can empower my team to do the same thing. And then naturally, because I like to hire the one to hire the 10, that was a great saying I heard once. I don't know who to attribute that to. But then I know that I can empower the leaders who can then build the infrastructure for me and the people. It's almost like when you hear things like what gets you here won't necessarily get you there. It implies that you don't actually need to think bigger than a few steps ahead of where you're at currently. Like if you're starting out, as you said, aiming for the 50 mil business person that can help them get there, they might not know how to get companies off the ground per se. They've had too long in the, the trenches of bigger scaled companies. They might not know. They might have forgotten. You know, they might have started out with the 10K month, but then just simply forgotten how to do that because they've been spending so much time in the trenches of other other companies as well. Do you think that's a bit of a a chink in the armor of people that are ambitious then? Like if someone's starting out, they've got massive ambitions, we need to bring them down to reality and say, look, I get it, you've got big ambitions, but they might not be able to help you get from zero to 50 mil you want to start off getting to the 10k a month maybe 20k and these are the people that will help you do that whereas someone that's a bit further down the line they can't help you go from zero to wherever you want to get to you got to actually build it gradually yeah i mean it's an ego thing right and also it's a lack of willingness to say no to opportunity and the longer i've been in business the more that i've realized that my ability to say no is what's gonna make or break my success. Because the amount of stuff that comes to me every day is stupid. And even me saying no to my team, saying like, 
you know, we're not going to help someone who is brand new and they have nothing. They have no social media. They have no money to invest once they get started with us. Maybe they can just cover the initial investment for impact school, but beyond that, nothing more. They have to take a short-term loss and I have to also be okay to take a, you know, a short-term loss with these type of client because we can't get those people the best results. We could help them and we have done in the past, but it's exactly as you say, like, our skill set is too high to invest our time in this type of person because we know that they could get support elsewhere for a much more affordable price. So would you ever partner with people with those skill sets as like a, you build them to the entry point for impact school? Is that something that you've ever thought about? Yeah, hundred percent. We actually have some client, we have a lot of clients that do this. So interestingly enough, over the last couple of years our clients tend to be in like three primary buckets so there's like b2b and so the yeah we have partnerships with a lot of these these companies because they serve people that could be dream clients for us in a year or so um then we have people who are in like the investing space or like the the MA space so like whether it's personal finance or like business investing like buying and selling companies and then randomly, it's like doctors or like really, really, really skilled health and fitness people um, just tends to be the type of client. So then we also have people who like in the first bucket, there's many different types of businesses that fall in there. Could be people that help people like launch podcasts or write books and things like that. But yeah, we um, one thing that my assistant focused on earlier this year was building out a big old affiliate and like partnership program um, so that now as well. Like one of our clients referred us three clients last week, right? All in the same week. And so she got a really nice payout from that. But I saw a load of companies doing like partnership programs and I just never thought to formalize it myself. But yeah, this was been, this this totally changed the game for us, honestly, because then it means that like from inside, we also have a lead generation machine working and our clients spreading the message for us. And I think that's something that's really undervalued, honestly, and not thought about a lot because people are always chasing new leads. When instead, like your best clients can just do the heavy lifting for you. I guess it, it builds this referral system. And I found, especially a few years ago now, there was a lot of skepticism or people would get their back up against referral programs when people would say, oh, my business is mostly run by referrals. People would think, oh, well, you don't really do much marketing then. You have this kind of divide between you've got a referral system but you have anything else and now right. I think we're coming into the space of there's no harm in having that but having both would probably serve you well but then as you said can you handle 10 times in your clients because you've got multiple systems that are helping you grow or scale rather than just one it's almost like having one I can just about handle what I've got right now adding extra sources of clients is almost like you're speeding up the break point of the business well I think that's subconscious self-sabotage most of the time because if you're not sorting your internal systems out which by the way this turns off a lot of founders and a lot of CEOs because they don't actually need to do this Okay, this is the problem because like you hear me say this, like I did not do any of this stuff inside my company and that's not because I'm lazy, right? It's because I don't need to. It's because I hire people to do that. I pay them a very fair amount of money 
and they do it for my company, right? It's their job. <laughs> so like, I know that sometimes sounds a little, you know, even when I say it out loud and when people say to me like, oh, thanks boss, I still find it weird, but <laughs> it's true. And there's this really good book by Dan Kennedy called like the No BS Guide to Management of People and Profits. And this was an amazing book because it helped me actually like stop being so soft. And um, when it comes down to like something like a referral system, right? Or let's say you got even 10 clients today, handling all of the onboarding of all those clients, handling all of the paperwork, handling all of the actually working with them for the six months or however long it's going to be, it doesn't have to be you. That's the thing. And that's when it comes down to actually making sure that you have the right people on the team. And when I realized that, and when I realized, okay, I don't have to be the one that builds the whole online course for the clients that are going to go through. Yes, maybe I know the way that it should be built the best way, shape and form possible. And so what I can do is I can empower my team and I can tell them everything that needs to be included and then they can make it happen. And I can build it once maybe, and I can create all the resources and stuff, but then the actual implementation can be done by my team because they can follow my guidelines. And it sounds like a whole lot of work, but it's really not because you can just do it all little by little. And if you've, and I think the one of the main reasons why people struggle to do this is because they have like, five different things that they do for their clients. So it's all very, very complicated. Um, and so I, I really found that simplification was extremely powerful. I wanted to go back to one thing though that you said, because we were talking about, um, you asking me another question and here's what was coming to my mind because I think a lot of times with regards to this scaling, this whole scaling concept, people are not honest with themselves about where they're actually at. So in their head, they make, let's say, 150K per month, right? Because they have, let's say they have, you know, I, I, I promise I never do live maths, right? So let's say they charge 25K for their offering, right? And so in their head, they're like, I make 150K per month because they have however many clients that is, I don't know, six, I don't know. And so what they're missing is that they only contract, like actually collected 5K from each of those clients. So they actually made 30 grand that month, but they're telling themselves that they made 150 because of the contracted amount. So they're lying to themselves about where they are in business. So they're trying to do this level of scale for a 150K per month business when they're actually making 30. That's a very big difference. And so 150K per month business needs very, very, very different things than the 30K per month business. And I think that's where people go wrong. I think as well, a lot of it does actually come down to this ego thing that you said, this idea that, oh, I'm making this much, I'm doing this, therefore I need these systems. But then they might not have any spare income lying around to reinvest it because, as you said, they're not actually taking in that amount of money all in one go so if they were paying full clients versus i don't know pay a deposit kind of clients then they probably would have had that level of income just because they've changed in their their payment structure versus you know i'll just take a little bit and see how it goes i think a lot of the time we can forget that you've got to play with the cards that you actually have rather than just yeah. the cards that you want and i think people can get tricked in a way but they're tricking themselves they're kind of convincing themselves of something that's not necessarily true which must make it difficult for you guys at impact school when you're 
siphoning through clients or you're wanting people to really understand that they're not where they're actually at, which would make research difficult if you think about it. Like people filling in questionnaires or whatever, saying I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And you look at the business after they've gone through the process and gone, yeah, but you're not, are you? The hardest part is on guarantees because we guarantee to our clients that they'll double their sales. And so we need to ensure that they actually send in accurate information. So I can think of an example just recently. So I had this guy come in. And so he's taking his enrollment interview with someone from my team. And she's asking him, how much are you making right now? Right. Just a very normal question. Um, obviously was worded more eloquently than that, but basically how much do you make? And he's saying that he makes 42 grand a month on average right now. Okay. So we said, okay. And how about over the last six months? So then he's like fumbling about, and then he goes into his stripe to check. All right. His average over the last six months was $7,000 a month, but he was saying he was making 42. So he was trying to say, well, you say you're going to double my sales. So, well, let's just make it a hundred K that you should guarantee for me. Right. He's making seven grand a month. Okay. Seven to a hundred is very, very different. Now this was obviously like, you know, we have as a part of our client agreement that they have to send us in actual bank statements to show us what did they actually make in their business right and it's just a business bank statement like it's nothing personal it's just we need to know because it's kind of like when you go to the doctor you get your bloods tested so that then the doctor can see the actual what's going on inside same with us right like that's why we have our clients fill out their pnls every two weeks because i don't know how you can say that you're providing business growth business scaling business acceleration you know business strategy if you're not actually checking the health of a business right this is like a huge issue a doctor wouldn't just look at you and and say okay yeah like you need to you have blood cancer right <laughs> like they're not gonna do that that's not how it works right no. they're gonna take your blood they're gonna analyze that they're gonna do all the tests right it's, it's kind of crazy so um that's something that i'm i'm really really big on but I think, thankfully, I found that over the last, especially, yeah, three, two and a half years or so, the the caliber of client does tend to be very, very honest, very legitimate. They like our no BS tonality at Impact School, but you do still get those few that try and be cheeky, right? But it will come around and bite them and it just becomes a coaching moment for them. And it's, it's especially those ones who come to us and say, well, I just don't want coaching. I just want you to just give me everything and, da, 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 and that's all I need. And I'm good. They're the ones that need it the most. <laughs> okay. And so it's quite yeah. funny, but um, when it comes to like, okay, let's take this example again, right. Of the 42 versus 7k. So if you're telling yourself that you make 42 grand a month, when you actually are making seven, you're putting out signals and maybe this is a little spiritual, but I truly believe this. You're putting out signals like, okay, I make 42K per month. So the things that you would naturally magnetize if you were, you know, right now making seven, the things that you would naturally magnetize are going to be on a different type of level than what you're actually able to accept right now. And so naturally through lying to yourself, you're pushing away what's meant for you and what's right for you right now to actually get you to that next level. So that's a little, you know, left field. However, it's arguably 
one of the more important things because we need to control our minds first then we can control our businesses so does that make you think maybe they're actually trying to push too fast maybe they're trying to look for things that actually speed up the destruction of the business because they're trying too hard they're trying to force it they're trying to go for things that they're not ready for it's almost like as you said if you can handle a lot of clients then you can market more you can branch out more you can do bigger scale things because you can handle it which I guess comes back to you need the system like the amount of media people and agents that say you've actually got to prepare your business for the media because if you have a massive influx of clients and you can't handle it you won't put yourself out there as much which then self-sabotages the whole marketing PR element of of people because you simply can only handle what you've got coming in now while wanting to go more that's this cycle that you're going to go out of business aren't you you're not going to push and every time you do you won't be able to deliver your results or handle paperwork or whatever the case is yeah you're putting out conflicting messages to the universe right and so when that happens conflicting things are going to happen you can just boil it down to as being as simple as that if you want and i mean there's there's a couple things right like Typically, someone who has a company that's health and fitness isn't going to come to us BSing, right? Usually it's the people that have like B2B businesses and they need to show themselves as someone who's making a lot of money to use their own story to bring in clients to themselves. That tends to be the, the what we've seen happen. But then finally, when they're honest with us, that's when they're vulnerable. And when you're vulnerable, that's when you're actually able to get help. So, yeah, I mean, that's the biggest thing. It's people who would, I suppose, try to, in the beginning, it's like posturing, right? It's posturing. And it's also false marketing as well. So that's that's something, but yeah. So what were your hires when you first decided to scale above yourself? So we'll talk about scale in terms of people. What were your first hires and then if you could go back and hire differently in terms of the roles or responsibilities, would you? Yeah. I mean, I was going to say, I don't know if this is a good question because I would not have done it how I did it. So first person I hired was actually to edit my YouTube videos. Cause I was very focused on YouTube all the way back then. Cause I didn't see it as a business back then. Right. I just saw it as like, me making content and even though I was doing fitness coaching I had fitness programs I didn't think of it as a business which was a silly mindset but it just never clocked to me because I just didn't see myself as a business owner um I mean if I could go back I would have made myself take business much more seriously and I would have definitely hired a very organized operational person who's kind of an all-rounder, who just loves the, you know, startup scene or who loves the industry. And they would have been able to have taken care of like a lot of the techie operational stuff for me. So I would I would have been looking for like a unicorn person, um, which I found in the end, but it's not like necessarily a conventional hire or a conventional thing to say. But in the very beginning stages, like you need that person who is your opposite to make sure that the things get done that need to get done. Cause like I'm super visionary 
and I really know what I want to happen and I know where I want to take things and I can rally and motivate people and inspire them. But actually going in and doing it, like I'll start something, but I don't want to finish it. Right. And so like, that's a very traditional characteristic of a founder, right? Like a, a, a visionary founder. So I need someone who's like very operational, who loves the, for me, boring as hell tasks that you have to tick off the boxes. That's hell to me, but some people love that, right? So it's really not necessarily about like, is there a perfect answer to this? But it's more about as the founder, what do you need and what does your company need in order to have structure and run like a business rather than just you doing whatever the hell you want? This is probably a bit of a weird and odd question to ask yourself, Lauren, but at what point should people start to hire? Because in the back of my mind, I'm thinking they should probably have to have a budget to actually pay them to do this. Like if you're a one-man founder, operations person, delivering on clients, you're self-employed and you want to hire somebody because it's getting to a point where you're struggling, what would have to happen? Because I'm picturing things like waiting lists. I'm picturing things like a backlog of clients that you need someone to do other tasks so that you can free up the time to fulfill that, which would mean you'd have more finances lying around to actually pay them to do it. So it kind of balances out. You've got this like crossover of time where you've always got the finances to be able to cover their wages while you're doing it. Because a lot of people would probably hire realizing it's too much money or we can't get the sales consistently enough and then they're basically going through phases of hiring firing hiring firing doing the whole fiver thing where they hire based on gigs <laughs> instead of employees and oh my gosh they, yeah <laughs> they, they stay in this like I'm trying to push but it's not quite enough for me to to do it and it makes me think okay well maybe don't have as much meals out and coffees and movies and traveling to be able to pay for this thing so it's like a short-term investment and then you end up retiring in 10 years rather than still suffering because you've made the decisions now so to speak so how do we actually get people to a point where they're hiring and then they're keeping their hires because they're beneficial and they can actually afford to pay them like you do yeah so I mean this might be helpful for some of our listeners so at Impact School, some of our clients that come in, they're in a spot like that, right? And so what we do is we run a 45-day profit power up. So what does that mean? So we take a 45-day sprint, and they're aware that this is going to be a lot of work. Yes, they're going to be going out for less meals. Yes, they're going to have to really work some long-ass days, which most of the time they're used to doing anyways. But we're swapping out what they're doing instead of adding onto what they're already doing for more highly profitable activities. And so within that 45 days, it's broken down in five day increments onto the different activities that they do. So what we do is we take all their existing offerings, all of their existing knowledge, all of their existing ideas, and we package everything up into one impact offer, okay? Then they don't do anything with that, okay? They, they list it all out, they break it all down as to how it's all gonna be, and then they stop. They leave that there. We then work with them. We have a kind of format so they can easily just slot things in to build a sales page. An easy to understand sales page. It's going to take them maximum three or four hours to build. We then review it and then we analyze everything. Okay, why do we do this? So that they can sell the impact offer 
And then the rest of the time is focused on selling, 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 selling the impact offer with a start date that is one month out. And then all those clients are going to start in a month or even two months. It depends how we want to do it. Most of our clients, they'll start in a month. And it allows them to bring in some cash flow. So for example, one one of my clients who actually uh, helps people get to those 10K months, she made 67K in 21 days, right? And then she went on holiday for two weeks. And I give this example because she's a mom with like a one-year-old baby, but most people, they think it's really hard to make a lot of money. But as you said, it's usually because of subconscious self-sabotage because they think, oh my God, if I get all these clients, what's going to happen? Marianne said that she wanted to get five clients. She ended up getting more than 30. And she was able to fulfill on all of them because the impact offer was a very streamlined way, a productized service to actually serve her clients. But most of her time was focused on selling. Okay. That was like eight months ago. Marianne actually just went on a holiday again and she pulled in more than 200 grand without doing anything because her team are selling and doing all the fulfillment. So the 45 day sprint was like hell for her because it was so much work, but it meant that now she's able to benefit for years and years to come, right? And she's going to be able to watch her little daughter grow up and maybe have some more kids if she wants to. And I bring this up because the amount that you can do in 45 days is ridiculous if you actually just focus. And if you stop saying, oh, but I want to launch this as well. And I want to do that as well. And oh, someone just text me about another business that I can join with them and do too. And oh, maybe I should do this side project. But if you just eliminate all that and just focus, spend two days mapping out what the offering could be, and then go and start talking to people to get them onto calls and to sell them on it. And even if they don't buy, take it as customer research and market feedback and surveying like we spoke about before. And then if you keep hearing things from dream clients of yours that they say that they want, take that and put it into the offering, right? And then you can bring in a huge amount of cash. And then, for example, Marianne, she brought in 67K, okay? She was able to hire an operations manager who now was able to take care of the onboarding of all the clients, of making sure that they were happy. Then she was also able to hire a client success manager to take care of actually all the client work. And then finally, a little bit later, she was able to hire a head of sales because she had money in the business. And she knew that if ever she needed to make a huge amount of money again, she could just do another sprint and actually do it. But obviously, like we aim for our clients not to need to do that because they build sustainable systems, right? So I just want everyone to listening to think like in 45 days from now, your life could be a lot different. Just realize it just comes down to if you're having a conversation with someone, hey, you could be a really good fit for this. Like, you know, would you be open to seeing the offer? I'd love to invite you. Yeah, it it definitely seems like for those that are listening, you actually need to set something up in advance. So you set a, okay, I'm going to launch this thing in 45 days. In order to do that, I have to do this. I've got to bring cash in to be because you're not going to be able to fulfill everything by yourself. Therefore, you've got to work around and bring people in that can help you do that. Because in 45 days, it's all go. It's almost like you've got to goal set in a way, for it's almost like multitasking. Like the amount of times I've had to do like two or three things at once. Some of it is for right now. Some of it is for three months from now. Some of it is for 12 months from now. Would you do it in like a timelined kind of way? Something that someone asked me about it. And I said, well, I just call it timelining because I've not seen anybody mention it before. Where you operate in like three different time zones. 
some things for next year, something's for six months from now, something's for three months from now, and you just chip away at it, and that's how you achieve so much and do so much. I mean, being being productive in business, I actually had this thought before we even started the conversation of at what point did we say, look, you want to be more productive, just hire someone to replace you and let them do half of it, and you're doing twice as much because you've just got somebody else to do more of it. Is that what people are forgetting? Like people trying to be productive, trying to do everything themselves and trying to hack themselves where they could just <laughs> hire somebody else? If you hire right, because obviously you can also hire wrong, right? And then you cause even more issues for yourself. Like I just had a client start with us and um, her consultant was telling me how this client was basically having to deal with a whole lawsuit. Before she started working with us, she'd hired a lawyer because her client had taken about 100 clients and it was just this whole catastrophe. But that's also something to think through as well. So that's when it comes down to making sure that people are being onboarded properly, being trained properly, you know, keeping track of their responsibilities. So yes, you can hire someone, but also know, are you a good manager and are you able to manage people? Because like, I'm not, and I, I don't manage anyone. I have my executive assistant who also supports with sales and marketing because I am in the sales and marketing side of Impact School. And then my COO, which is North, she's also now got equity in Impact School. And like, they are the only ones that like technically report to me because I'm not a good manager and I don't like managing, right? And so historically until I had North, that's why I had very bad churn because I was not good at managing, right? So that's also something to think about. So it has to be done the right way too. So it's not just as simple as like, let's just hire someone and they'll just take care of things. Um, It comes down to delegating outcomes and responsibilities rather than to-do lists, because that's not a very motivating thing for people. So how do you find someone that allows you to have a bigger team without managing? Like for managers that don't like or aren't very good at managing, how would you advise that person? Yeah, so that's why like I would really look for someone who's very operational and who has experience managing. Because if you hire someone that's never managed before and then you get them managing people and even hiring people, you're setting yourself up to fail. Because someone that's never managed before, like you, maybe you've managed before in a job, right? So you'll have experience. I never had, so I didn't know, right? But like, I, I just had no idea. So if you hire, then hire someone who has management experience, then they know how to do it, right? That's kind of my thought process. And so you can even say to them transparently coming in, like, look, I've never hired anyone before. Guide me. I reckon that there's a lot of learning curve with this. Like you you learn from experience. And it makes me think actually of how many bad hires would you have before you actually found a good one? Like did you ever hire people that were like, mm, not this one, I'll hire somebody else. Mm, not this one, I'll hire somebody else. And how big was your like learning curve with this? Where you say, right, I'm going to hire these people and they turn out really horrible but eventually you found people that did work. Well, that comes down to the right hiring process, right? So again, I don't do the hiring in my company now. We actually even have an HR manager that reports to my COO. So we hired a recruiter to hire us an HR manager. So we actually paid an agency for that because we knew that we needed like the creme de la creme for that role. Um, But 
when it comes to um hiring the wrong people I mean yeah I've done that I mean I'll talk about that in a second but we now follow I think it's a six phase hiring process right so like maybe in the beginning we'll have 500 applications okay so our HR manager will skim through all of the applications based upon the criteria that they've already selected and then from those applications then they'll ask for like whatever the next the next thing is so maybe it would be for a sales position maybe we'd say okay now we're going to get them to send us two sales calls where they closed right or maybe they've already sent them and maybe it's just that the hr manager is like okay i'm going to actually listen to the sales calls now if they like them then it will go to the next phase which will be like a phase one interview okay and the whole point is we're weeding out non-cultural fits so like the first phase you weed out the people that, that don't have skills or the skills that we need okay by phase two, after that phase is done, you'll know that they have the skills. So now we're just looking for cultural match. So the first interview is really just to, you know, ask specific questions that get them to reveal, do they actually share the core values of impact school, right? And then if that's good, then the second interview will happen, which is when the manager of that department or the leader of that department will then interview them alongside of the HR manager. Or maybe the HR manager isn't there. Um, I can't remember, but then they'll just, you know, see, do they like this person? Could they work with this person? Is this a cultural match? And is their skill actually there, right? Because the HR manager may think, oh, this sales call sounds amazing. But then the sales manager might get on the call and be like, oh, no, this is super cheesy, right? Because like, maybe they just kind of had a misjudgment because it's not their area. Okay, that's fair enough. Um, And then after that, if that all goes well, then finally, there'll be an interview uh, where either myself or Noor will join. Noor's my COO. Um, because Noor has as much understanding of what culture is acceptable and which culture isn't as I do to make sure that they're good to go. If this is a leadership position, if it's not a leadership position, I won't take the interview. If it's someone who's working uh, in the team, Noor will always take that one. And then um, and then we invite them to join. There is no way that a bad hire can happen really after all of that. Like at, since we started doing that about 14 months ago, we haven't made a bad hire. Okay, before that, I used to chat to someone in the DMs. Hey, like, can you do this? Yeah, cool. Okay, cool. Sounds good. Let's start working. They'd start working and it'd be totally catastrophic. We didn't do any of that, right? You know, I mean, if anyone's seen any of my content about how my podcast got hacked and 100 plus episodes got deleted, that's because I just was typing into Instagram affiliate because I wanted to ask a question about affiliate marketing. I found this dude, asked him some questions. And then he said to me, oh, by the way, like I can rebuild this web page for you and make it look amazing. So he did it and it was amazing. Anyways, he ends up coming into the company, just YOLOing, doing whatever the hell he wants. And like, I liked it at the time because it's what I needed at the time, but I didn't pull the plug and get rid of him when he was no longer a fit for the company, right? So we started adding structure. We started adding systems, procedures. Um, Nor started like doing her thing and actually being an operator. And um, he hated it. He just went crazy. We ended terms on the right way first, actually. Then he went crazy and he hacked into the podcast, deleted it, both the websites, deleted them. Um, and that was my fault because I just let him run wild for far too long. But he was hired in a really random, wild type of way. So it was to be expected, right? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like having a longer process for hiring has actually sped things up further on down the line because you've not had any reoccurrences 
like that. And then you mentioned cultural fits, you mentioned values of the company, which would imply that you knew those before you started judging people against them, before you decided to hire them. Um, it seems like there's a lot of background work that needs to be done before you start going into this to be able to do it successfully versus unsuccessfully as you've done it both. You've done both ways. Yeah, I mean, I think the issue with a lot of founders and CEOs is they don't have time to think about these things. So they probably feel like they innately know the values, but until they're actually written down, how can other people know, right? Because especially if you're a remote team, like Noor has spent a lot of time with me in person. So has Elle, my assistant. And so because both of them have spent so much time with me, if they even didn't see it written down, they would know how I, as the founder of the company, would want them to act even if I wasn't there. But like the rest of the team, like a lot of them, I haven't even met them in person, right? Nor's met most of them, but like I haven't. Um, because of that, if we didn't have it all written down and if we didn't constantly reward people in the team based upon the values that I sat down and really just wrote based upon like what is true and how we want to be, then they would have no idea that this is how they should be acting, right? And now we never have to have rules because our company is based upon values rather than rules. That's really interesting, actually, when you think about the companies that do really well, generally it's because the team gels together, the team works, the team have a an aligned personality almost. They're all very similar in, in a lot of ways, or at least the ways that, that work which would make me think that they all have similar values to the company. That's why they, they work well together. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. It's everyone's similar and it's fantastic. Lauren, it's been great to have you on the show. I really like uh, around two in the future once things have, have grown for you, but I guess we'll see if people wanted to learn more about you, where can they go? So this is your chance to share impact school and how people can enter your world a bit. Yeah, Impact School podcast. That's probably the best place if you like to listen to podcasts. Um, Impact School is just Impact School on social media. And then me personally is Lauren Tickner, L-A-U-R-E-N-T-I-C-K-N-E-R. And uh, yeah, basically that on all platforms, just that, no zeros, no underscores. The rest of them are scammers. So just find the ones with the blue ticks and you're sweet. <laughs> Thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Those that are listening, feel free to subscribe, share the show, tell others, and also leave a review wherever you are listening in to your podcasts. Lauren, thanks so much for taking the time. I look forward to keeping in touch. Michael, thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. Your questions are great.